Okay, we're recording. Yes. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah, we're here. Um, James Edwards and myself, Caroline Savory, um, talking about the Plenty Pact uh, business model that was an, an innovation um, that came partly out of COVID-19 economic situation and partly out of wanting to live by and express alternative economic values and politics. Um, and we have a guest with us at this live Q&A, um, Naveed Haydari. And maybe more will join. We hope more will join if they're able. <laughs> um, so, so tell me, um, Caroline, uh, why, don't, why don't you introduce a little bit of the, of the background that led you to decide that Plenty Pact was something that, uh, that you needed to try, and, and then I'll, I'll give my version of that same story. Cool. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and I, I'll tell about myself, and then um, I invite you, James, when, when you speak next, to tell about yourself, and sure. um, we can discuss how we know each other and what we were working on. Um, together kind of as the Plenty Pact happened to emerge. Um, okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, let's see. So I've been a cooperative uh, business development practitioner. That's the like long title. <laughs> um, as a freelancer for the last nine years. And um, I've worked with a variety of startup co-ops. I've also worked to help startup nonprofits, um, other kinds of organizations as well. I've worked with some existing co-ops that were established but looking to change or receive consulting about their, their operations or their organization um, in, that, in that time window. And um, I worked with all different kinds of co-ops, worker co-ops, consumer-owned, producer-owned, et cetera, and really had, um, was grateful to have a lot of opportunities to attend conferences and just really continue a self-led education and cooperative best practices, which I've been fascinated by since before I started officially on this career path um, back, in back in 2008, 2009, when I was a part of direct action consensus-run collectives um, in Pittsburgh. And so anyway, uh, recently, for the last year or so, year and a half, I've really been feeling like it's time to change up my automatic way of doing business. Automatic in the sense that I've kind of been in this responsive freelancer, you know, catch what you can like mode for many years. Um, and just taking the work that comes to me, having most of the opportunities that come to me be word of mouth. Um, and just, you know, in this responsive dynamic mode, and there's parts about that that I really like, parts about that lifestyle. But uh, yeah, it was really starting to become stressful and burdensome. And also, even though I was giving my all to some of these clients, I wasn't feeling like the ultimate value produced for them was quite right, like quite on the mark. I felt like there was something, some kind of a gap between my intention or like what I was actually believing I was providing and what was being received. So I was really grappling with these ideas around redesigning 
my own business from the inside out in terms of, I mean, I am a business developer. That's the irony. It was like, I really should work on my own. Like I should take a step back. Um, so all of these thoughts and, and different kind of design entrances or like little drafts of ideas have had emerged, but um, I was fortunate to experience a kind of synthesis of these ideas in a big way um, in kind of a spiritual experience on May 11th, um, where I got this kind of clarity about um, right now, especially as is highlighted by COVID-19 and the way it's impacted the economy and society, um, there's just a sense that there's this internalized value that we're supposed to, from, from capitalist rhetoric around us, that like, mm -hmm. you should charge more, you should always be charging more, you should, you know, create a price point that's like just at the edge for people and you should, um, should, 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 like all that stuff. And um, so a part of me was telling me, you need to figure out how to raise your prices. You need to figure out how to target more elite clientele than who you've been working with, you know, community-based organizations who rarely have their own cash resources <laughs> to pay for my services. Yeah. So all of this pressure. And then I, I realized though that there's another part of me, a much bigger part of me that doesn't even believe that that other part of me is true. It just, it doesn't even buy it. It's like, actually, no, that's not creating value for anybody. That's, that's, you know, and what I, the breakthrough I had was around when transaction is the, the foundation for the professional relationship. That is, I'm uh -huh. selling you services. You're buying something from me. Um, what is lost is a richness in relationship, in connectedness, vulnerability, um, dialogue, that to me is actually where the value of transformative work exists. <laughs> like you have to have that in order to have transformation result from my involvement on your project or, or whatever. Um, yeah. And so, there was this this tension and i and i realized that deep down <laughs> actually when i consult with my true self i want to be of service and that wanting to be of service has in terms of healing the world and repairing and restoring wrong ways i mean i'm a cooperativist i'm also a permaculturist like i'm trying to spread patterning that is more adaptive and yet more ancient in a way Right. And, and so I really want to be of service. And this transactional expectation that's so normative was in the way of that. Mm -hmm. And so I just had this breakthrough of I reject it. I'm, I'm done. I'm done lying to myself and others about the fact that I am just about service. <laughs> like, I just want to serve your liberation. And we have to trust that it's going to work itself out. I have to trust that that's my spiritual pact. So there is a sense of a, the, in the name Plenty Pact, it's really alluding to the sense that this is a vulnerable commitment. It's a pact. Um, it's at risk. <laughs> like we don't know if it's gonna work out, um, but it's a pact around there being plenty, there being enough, enough for you, enough for me, enough for us to, you know, just move, move forward um, together. So, that's the, the faith that I've entered 
this design with and what came to me on May 11th. And then I spent the next two weeks fleshing out this business model and creating all this internal documentation and really developing it. What came to me on the 11th that was a missing piece all the last year and a half was this clarity around how to have a conversation with somebody about like, I just want to make an offering and I want you to make an offering. And in this way, we're kind of bringing a spiritual or a com communion-based lens to what we're doing, where we, we are really acknowledging that relationship is at the heart of this. Um, so that, that sense of like a script or a protocol for that conversation came through. And then I realized I had a totally, like a complete idea and, and it just needed to be implemented. So I launched the Plenty Packed model um, around May 25th. Um, and uh, since then, I've had some really exciting things happen with it. Some great, some fantastic conversations, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, some great rewarding relationships that have come out of this professionally. Um, and I'm getting to explore and play in more things that I've wanted to for a long time, but because I didn't have the framing, I didn't know how. And now it just comes out through dialogue with people yeah. it's just it's just yeah. dialogue and it's fantastic really enjoying it so far and happy to share more details about how it's been going great well i, I do have a lot of questions but um i think i'll start by by introducing myself and uh why this grabbed my attention the way it did um and so my background is 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 fairly varied um uh, you know, I, I started a nonprofit that did violence prevention education, and I've had a 20-year career as a filmmaker. And um, I've been an educator my whole life. And a lot of that work, most of, and as much as it's shocking to say it, most of the last 28 years or 30 years of my professional life, um, uh, and I'm shocked at how many years that is, uh, <laughs> has been um, sort of uh, as a freelancer, uh, as a consultant, right? And, um, and the, the work I do as a documentary producer, as a coach, as a project designer, as a storyteller um, is deeply relational. It involves me feeling deeply into the other person's needs, the other person's desires, their dreams, their story. Um, and and helping distill that into um, a plan or an action or or a story, a film or something like that, right? And I can't I can't do that. I can't do my part of that process on my own, you know. Um, but but um, the the sort of traditional business model. Uh, kind of expects that, you know, it's very transactional and it's like, okay, I'm going to hire you and I'm going to pay you and you're going to do a thing. Um, and, and so there's always this tension between what the client wants and how much they're willing to pay for it. Right. There's always a tension between, you know, and there's different versions of that. There's, there's the idea that you agree on a flat rate for a project. Um, right. And then the client's pushing to get more and you're resisting to give because you're like, well, they only paid this much. And if I give them more then I'm not getting what I'm worth, right? Kind of an idea. Um, and so 
So that makes the client want more and you want to do less, right? Um, the, the other common uh, model is this hourly model where the client wants you to work less and you want to work more for two reasons. One, because you'll make more money, but also because if you, if you are proud of the work you do and you want the project to be complete and good, uh, right. And so, the, the, so there's the tension of the project payment method. There's the tension of the hourly method. Um, and, and then I spent a lot of that time working in the film business, which, which has this culture. There's, there, there's parts of the film industry that have a really antisocial culture that's very extractive and very exploitative, right? Um, and, and one of the elements that occurs in that is that um, there are people who think that if they are paying you, they own you. You know, and I think one of the moments that really brought that home with me is when I'm lying in bed at 3.30 in the morning and the doorbell starts ringing and my phone starts ringing at the same time. And I'm thinking, oh my God, like what is happening? There's like some emergency. And it turns out there's my client who lives down the street who um, just got back from her film shoot or whatever at 3.30 in the morning. And she's decided that that's a great time to come over to my house um, and screen the rough cuts I've been working on. And I'm like, what, what are you doing here? And she's like, I need to see the rough cuts. And I said, it's 3.30 in the morning. And she's like, well, look, you're on the job. This is a high stakes project. And I have a thing I need to do tomorrow. So I can't see them then. So I have to see them now. Which I acquiesced to. And, you know, and then I felt like, what in the world is happening here? Like, is this the way we're relating to each other? Like, I am at this person's service 24-7. So all of these relationships, all of this way of doing the business and business in general is ultimately transactional. You know what? And, and that's fine. Somebody's paying for something. They expect something in return. That's an agreement. Except when that's all there is. Okay. So I spent the last couple of years um, sort of throttled back from, from, from my business as I went through a master's program and really transitioned to just full-time eco-social design, permaculture work, that sort of thing, which I've been doing for a long time, but um, sort of as an ethos that informed the other things I did versus as a consultant, just providing that. And um, so as I've been coming back now, and sort of relaunching my business, I realized that that my um, sort of pent up, I mean, I hesitate to use the word trauma, but it, it feels trauma <laughs> around um, how am I going to enter into relationship with my clients and how am I gonna avoid this feeling of being taken advantage of or having to be the person that's taking advantage of the client? Like, I don't wanna be the person doing that. I don't want that done to me. How am I going to do that? Um, so as I mentioned earlier, that, that kind of deep collaboration that my work requires um, needs to be reflected in the way I do business. And I couldn't figure out how to do that. Um, you know, both my clients and I have been trapped in a way of thinking that is at odds with what we're trying to create. Um, and then I was having these conversations with you and you laid this thing on me and I thought, that's crazy. That's insane. Like she can't do that. And all, all of these reasons why that can't happen popped up in my head at the same time that I was also thinking like, well, that's amazing. That makes total sense. And it completely addresses 
what I'm trying to do. And I sat down with my wife and I, I said, yeah, my friend Caroline's trying this crazy thing. And she was like, oh, well, that's totally what you should be doing. I was like, well, what are you talking about? You know, I'm going to get taken advantage of. I'm, I, 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 and then I thought, oh gosh, maybe, maybe this is the thing. And so now I'm, I'm like about to launch back full time into being a consultant, getting ready to launch back into business and wanting the way I do business to reflect what I am, uh, what I am promoting, right? Yeah, so basically what I was saying that this kind of deep collaboration that, that I and my client need for our work to be successful needs to be reflected in the way we engage each other from a business standpoint. I, yeah, I love what you said about um, I need to go about this in a way that reflects what I'm promoting. That's, yes, there you go. I love you, that. I, you said it. You, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Right. I, like, you know, I'm, I'm promoting liberation and I'm practicing exploitation. Right. <laughs> um, and as a consultant, I have found this dynamic in a lot of my clients and the way they run their businesses. Right, you have these these you know um, conscious companies and and transformative leadership um, CEOs who are running extremely hierarchical business models and trying to squeeze as much as they can out of their employees because that's the lesson. But then they wonder why they have high turnover, or why there's low job satisfaction, and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, so. Uh, everyone on this call happens to be permaculturists. So I just want to speak to the fact that like, we understand that it's anti-holistic to try to say one thing and do another, right? And so, you know, hol holism um, is a word that refers to a system that is whole, that is able to attain wholeness. Um, and I want to come into relationship from a place of wholeness with my clients too. And the sense that like, what I'm going to convey to you is that if there's work to be done to embody the pattern you want to see in the world, that work is, is priority. You can't um, just build something that is like somehow re reflective of your ideals. If you don't actually know how to embody it um, yourself in your relationships, these things are often fractal right? And they're moving towards a systems perspective, the idea that if you have this one pattern in the system, um, it's going to corrode or create negative feedback loops against the patterns you want. Like, you know, that's that out of balance or saying one thing, doing the other, the other piece. And so, yeah, I, I um, you know, when I thought about in my approach to Plenty Pact, who I want to work for and with, who I want to serve. Like I couldn't trick myself into believing that I wanted to serve people who had a lot of money and were coming from a, a paradigm where they didn't, it was not in their best interest even maybe to transform, where they didn't want transformation. They wanted perpetuation of a structure that they, that made them comfortable, right? I want to work with communities that need to transform themselves that understand that they're in a process of that right like 
I want to work with people at the grassroots. I want to work with organizations at the grassroots. And so if that means that I, there's this gap, right, between paying what I need to make to live on and full disclosure, I've never made more than $20,000 effectively, or actually to be totally specific, $23,000 in income before taxes mm. in my life. So even though I'm commanding a fairly high price point hourly, I'm not working as much as I could because there's this gap between the clients who really need me and need the knowledge that I have to bring and what they can pay. And so oftentimes right. that's mitigated by a nonprofit structure. Cooperative development generally is often offset or supported by foundations and nonprofits. Yeah. But, you know, um, I want to work with people directly also. Like I want, I believe that people should be able to enter a relationship with me and say, here's where we're at. We could really use your help and me to be able to respond to that in good faith and say, pay me what you can. Let's do it. Well, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm in a slightly different situation that won't cover my share of the mortgage. Um, <laughs> let alone putting my children through college. <laughs> and I have two children about to start college. Yes. So, so we've talked when, about, we have different markets that we are looking yeah. at and serving and the structure of Plenty Pack for me could be quite different than how it ends up being adapted for you, James. So tell me more about that. Yeah. So, so, so the question I was going to ask you, and I think a question that's on the, on the table, this is part of the experiment, is um, how adaptive is this model going to turn out to be to different contexts? And yes. there's, there's a couple of elements to that. Uh, one is what you just talked about, like having clients who um, don't really want to change because it's not in their interest. And in a lot of ways, that's my target demographic, my theory of change and where I'm putting not all of my attention, but a lot of my attention, a chunk of my attention is in this idea that um, business and the financial power of business, but also the financial temptations of, of business um, are the main reason for our environmental and social dysfunctions, right? There's no, nobody can say anything to me that is going to make me believe that our environmental crisis is not 100% directly related to the way we practice capitalism, right? Um, and likewise, um, our, our um, social disparities, um, right? Uh, so, mm -hmm. um, so I can imagine that this conversation is going to land flat with some of my more businessy clients, right? I mean, there is this movement in business towards conscious business, towards, you know, uh, society environment and governance uh, improvements, triple and quadruple bottom line companies, B Corps, all of that. Um, and and, and, and even the, the business roundtable, like the most conservative business organization in the United States, issued a statement last August saying that maximizing shareholder value can no longer be the objective of corporations. Um, and that has been the guiding truth since the late 70s, right? Maximize shareholder value means do anything you can to improve the stock value of your company. And now they're saying, so no, we have they, to be... 
acknowledge it's time to compost yes. those structures. <laughs> we have to be good citizens. Yeah. But still, I'm going to be sitting in front of somebody with an MBA who has been trained um, in, in their schooling that that is actually the objective, that maximizing profit is the objective. And they're going to say to me, why are we playing this game? Why are you saying, make me an offer that's meaningful to you? You know, just tell me your rate and I'll pay it. We can totally afford it. Mm -hmm. um, and so how am I going to respond to that? And, um, and, I'm, and I'm wrestling with that. I really am. Because there's, the, you know, one of, part of the ethos of that is if you're not commanding a, a really high rate, then they don't take you seriously. So there's this kind yes. of back then, and then forth. you're doing it wrong. Then you must not know what you're doing if you if you don't know how to command the highest price point, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm wrestling inside with like, yeah. Am I going to like really take a stand on this in order to prove a point for my clients at the beginning of our relationship? And and I think that is the answer. And I think part of the answer is you know what this is worth you talk you talk about meaning you know you say to the client um to consider the meaning of this relationship and i said well what about the value and you said well value automatically triggers capitalist thinking right because it's like monetizing the value wow i mean that's going to be heady for some of these folks yeah well and and so there's culture clash that can happen, right? It, it, it might be too extreme of context differences to like just try to glom these two, these really two different worlds onto each other. Um, right. So, you know, creating bridges through language, through structure. The Plenty Pact has a really particular protocol around these conversations. And so I'd like to speak more about what it actually looks like. Um, here because you know again it's context specific I'm speaking to a certain audience with this so there's certain you know ways that I have it designed structurally and so basically um, you know first in an onboarding meeting I, I we discuss what their needs are um, because the first thing that I'm filtering for inside of my intuition whether this is a good fit is if I actually think I'm the right person to help them if I believe that I can be of service based on my particular skills and talents and knowledges. Um, so first we talk about what they need and then I um, give them some context. Try not to spend too long and like too wordy with this, but like I give them some context around what we've talked about that um, relationship is actually the the, the, the container for which any really like high value results uh, are going to come out of this. And so um, relationship being so priority, um, our goals should be around maintaining the relationship, strengthening the relationship, assuming it's a long-term trusting good faith relationship. Because um, my goal would be that like, even if, you know, it ends up being only a short-term project, that there is a sense of a building of social capital there where this person now sees what I can do. They like what I can do. They like how genuine I am on my engagements. They're going to recommend me to others. Right. And I, I do want to note here that the plenty pact would not be possible were it not for years of me cultivating meaningful relationships with a variety of communities, cooperative, Community, communities starting co-ops, um, social permaculture and permaculture contexts, 
um, just various like facilitators groups and different networks of, you know, where certain kinds of thoughts and ideas are circulating. Um, if, if it weren't for me building relationships in those contexts over time and showing that I'm trustworthy and showing that I do great work, um, I wouldn't have this extensive network to call upon and say, yeah. little by little, like one from the closest inner circles on outward in my networks, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm all about. Do you want to work with me or know somebody who would like to work with me? Um, and so the social capital is a huge piece here in terms of I'm leveraging social capital to, you know, create um, hopefully a system where I can have my needs met. And that actually shows up in the, the dual structure of client payment and Patreon. So a community of supporters who are mm. in solidarity with what I'm doing. And so anyway, that's the social capital piece again. So I just wanted to flag that because I think it's really important to talk about. Um, but so returning to my process, I give them some context. I then um, explain that, that my responsibility is to say yes, if I'm the right person to work with them, I have the bandwidth to work with them on the timeline or whatever kind of constraints that they need or want. Um, and that I believe that whatever they're going to offer me in terms of a reciprocal payment for my services is honest and coming from that good, good faith place. Um, and their responsibility is to make an, an offer that is honest to their circumstance. So I, I tend to invite them to think about multiple forms of capital at this point. Um, so we have not just financial capital, but we have intellectual, creative capital, we have social capital, material capital, like if you're growing food in your garden, natural capital. So there's a lot of ways that you are abundant or not abundant in capital, different types of capital in your life. So I invite them to think about what's honest for their situation. And I also invite them that in their offer, they ex are going to express the meaningfulness that this, that working with me at this time on this project in the way that we discussed would have for them. Um, for some people, it's not urgent. It's more of a diversion, right? For others, it's like, you're the person and I really want to do this with you. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that's what I invite them to do. And then the question that I ask is usually not far, very far variant from this question right here. Um, what feels fair to you to offer me? What feels fair to you to offer me? So fair to you is a key part of the structure there because again, their responsibility is to offer something that is fair to them, that's honest about their circumstance. So it takes vulnerability, right? This gets back to the, the question right. of dismantling these internalized fears and anxieties around pricing and what am I worth and what are you worth, right? That is a dialogue every single time it's been a, di a yeah. conversation because different things come up around that. And it's vulnerable to be so honest so early, right? Really but I'm modeling, I'm modeling trust for that, that like, if you're honest, I'm going to sit across from you and model honesty and say, let's do it. Let's work together. Um, the phrase that I use when I accept an offer um, is, so it is. <laughs> like, I just... It's not, it's not a, I accept so much as it is like, that is what it is. It already was. 
right? Because I tell people, if, you, if you're going to be honest and genuine at this time in your offering to me, you should assume it's already been accepted. So, you're really flipping a lot of things on, yeah. <laughs> on their head here. There's a lot of contradictions with, with mm -hmm. um, social norms. Um, yes, that's why and... it has to be a conversation because it is, it's strange. It's, it's different. It's evocative. It's challenging. Um, but the, the thing is, I already set up in the conversation that we're here for that. We're here. That's what relationship is. We're, we're in dialogue nothing can come, no harm can come to us to just really process about this right now. So when I say I've had some of the best conversations I've ever had in my career in the last month, it's true. And that's one of those things is just like people getting vulnerable, people expressing their fear, expressing their confusion, expressing their anxiety. It's fantastic. It's like so rich and juicy because I feel like we are dismantling the way we internalize these messages from society about what's valuable and what's right and what success looks like, right? We're, we're dismantling it right then and there. And that's the work at the fractal level is to be really confronting these things that are normative, but are not serving, not serving me, not serving you, right? Let's break that down. I'm, I'm, yeah. So, um, this idea of, of fairness is, is, could be really intense for someone. Um, I mean, the way a negotiation usually happens is, is you know, um, you are demanding a, a, a certain something and the client is trying to, yeah, they're trying to get what's fair for them. Um, but, it's a different kind of fair, right? Mm -hmm. Because now you're asking them when you say, make an offer that is fair for you to think about what's actually fair for not the client, but you, right? And, and just so about that every time that forces them, yeah, yeah that forces me, them well, to flip their priorities. Right. But they've also so tell asked, me a little bit about yeah. the reactions that you get when, when like, you know, tell me a story of somebody you know, sort of reeling back from that and then embracing it. Yeah. Um, so more often, I think actually, I can't think of an example where the, the, the client did not discuss their concern that I be treated fairly too. And okay. so that, good that's clients. again, <laughs> relationship, <laughs> you know, um, they're obviously approaching me if they already have some trust and context for me. That's been true mm -hmm. so far. Um, as I start to spiral out from my, you know, most close collaborators, it'll become more like a broadcast of like, this is what I do, but, but I'm not even sure it'll ever get there because word of mouth is, has a fractal spiraling shape to it too. And it may just be that I end up all with all referral work. But anyway, um, <laughs> I want to also emphasize that, the fairness thing. It's like the question is what is what feels so it's subjective. It's acknowledged as subjective upfront. Mm -hmm. Fair to you to offer me. So the phrase to offer me is part of it too. It's like mm -hmm. I'm reminding them that they are making a gift, an offer, a gift, an offering. <laughs> 
um, and that that's what we're here for in this conversation in this moment what feels mm -hmm. fair to you to offer me so they then have to say what feels fair to me to offer you right at least unconsciously and that means that they're they know that they're making a statement about what they value right um yeah. in the offer like it's it's fundamental in that language um that they, they they're forced to acknowledge that that they subjectively are going to have to make a public statement now yeah. in full witness of me about what they value and how they're interpreting value and what i can offer them etc so it is so vulnerable and again that's where the the richness is so yeah i can tell so, a couple stories if you want have you had yet a client or how do you think you would you would handle it with a client who has no experience contracting this type of service and doesn't really like you know um I feel like a lot of people kind of know what the market rate is for certain types of services. And when they're thinking about making a fair offer, you know, they're considering their financial situation, um, which, which might be strapped. They're considering yours. Um, and, and they also are considering a third factor, which is like, what does this normally cost? And using that to arrive at an offer. Um, but in the case of somebody that has no experience, they could be very taken aback. How, how do you coach them through that, if you do? Mm -hmm. um, so I make them clear to them that there's a, a creative plethora of, um, of pricing options available to us. It's not, can't, it doesn't have to just be a hourly rate or something like there's equity and there's revenue based. Um, and there's value-based pricing and there's like just different models for expressing value, for dividing up value. And so I just make sure that they know that there's creative options. And, and when, if it's the situation where somebody would, which hasn't happened yet, but I imagine if somebody would make an offer that felt off to me, mm. my instinct would be to just immediately ask questions about it and go into it and, and say, could you tell me what you're what you're thinking about when you make that offer or could you like let's have you considered these things that you maybe haven't considered so i would engage on it because again it's it's happening in a dialogue so um yeah and if if i feel that anything is off about it right whether i'm the right person or whether the offer feels like it's not being honest or it's there's some deceit or effort to distort in yeah. the experience, I would decline because I, that's my agreement, my pact, my spiritual pact is those three conditions have to be met. So right. I would simply plenty, decline. Plenty pact is with yourself as well. That's I'm right. wondering if at this point we, we should open up and see if Naveed has any questions. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. Naveed, do you have okay. any questions for us? Hey, y'all. Loving the conversation. Um, I'm mostly smiles here. There's just times where you just ooh, say the right things that reach into my own life right now. Um, I'm having a conversation later with some fellow farming friends about fairness. And what's coming to mind is kind of what you just but James, you just said that I was feeling at the same time, I was like, so you, Caroline, or you, James, as you enter this process, or me, as I choose to honor my own spiritual pact, uh -huh. 
I really have to be deeply rooted in my own non-deceitfulness. <laughs> and that's, that's like, oh, shit. That's not like something that I arrive at this evening. That's, um, that's been taking some time. <laughs> um, so it's really nice to hear you say like, yeah, the, what, what this is really rooted in for you is this um, strong spiritual pact with yourself. Yeah, and so, and the corollary of that is that you're you're asking that of your client. Mm -hmm. Also, you're asking them to meet you there, which is huge. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I love what you said, Naveed. Thank you about non-deceitfulness, um, because it's true that I have to genuinely check in with myself. Um, and, and obey intuition. If intuition says something's off, I just got to say something's off. And um, yeah, so, and modeling that to the client and asking for the very same thing. And there's also a sense that particularly if I want a long-term relationship with this client, then I'm going to accept that whatever they, if they're honestly arriving at, a, at an offer, um, then that's probably true for them right now, but that that can change and that that mm. maybe will change as their circumstance evolves um, and as their being evolves. So I, I tend to accept, I tend on the side of acceptance because um, if I feel that they're really in the conversation and they're really in good faith in the dialogue. Um, because, and also another facet of how my business has adapted since launching Plenty Pact is that I, I look for the minimum viable structure of a client consulting engagement where mm -hmm. I'm saying, what, what gets you to the next horizon? Um, let's just structure a relationship to that point because this is iterative. Let's let it evolve. So let's see how that feels. You can name a price for either each session or for the whole like structure that we articulate. Um, and then we will renegotiate and we will recheck in at the end of, of meeting a goal, um, whether that's a tangible goal or more of like, let's have six sessions where we explore a theme or something. Um, yeah, so that's important too, this iterative design, letting it evolve, letting our consciousnesses Oh, that's another thing I wanted to say. Um, <laughs> if I'm inviting a client into transformative relationship or where relationship is central because we actually want transformation to, to emerge from our, from our, our um, interbeing, our dialogue, right? Yep. Then um, I have to also expect and accept if, that I can become transformed in this too. Mm -hmm. um, expect and accept evolution <laughs> that the dialogue i'm having is not just about me bringing value to them or like imposing ideas on them it's actually i also get changed because i'm in dialogue and i'm in relationship and so everything about the plenty pact is subject to evolution i'm paying attention to the feedback i'm getting i'm changing my script up i'm changing my maybe my policies up you know i'm changing the workflow of a new client up and it's because of feedback I'm getting. So yeah, I'm, try I'm trying to be very attentive to 
whatever I'm noticing, sensing, and again, obeying that non-deceit principle. I love that language. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was beautiful. And, um, and what you're saying makes perfect sense. One, one, of, one of the services I provide is helping clients deal with complexity. Uh, complexity is a very specific set of conditions and um, the only successful way to deal with it is to experiment and iterate and the you know um, a client provider relationship any relationship any human relationship is inherently complex um, but a business relationship in in which you are um, helping somebody evolve their thinking, evolve their structures in complex environments is layers of complexity, right? And so this iterative approach that you're describing um, as a way of agreeing to do business uh, makes a lot of sense. You're, it's, you know, it's kind of meta layering here of working in complexity, recognizing that your relationship is complex and making the business relationship um, emergent um, as much as the work and the environment that you're working in are emergent. Yeah, and if there happens to be any deceit or distrust in the system early on, um, it's this iterative structure allows us to reduce harm, ah, right? To say yeah, we're so just going this far adaptive. with this agreement. Mm -hmm. We're not exploiting either one of us. We're keeping it as light and nurturing as it can be. Um, uh, it's yeah. what I would call a, a safe to fail prototype. Exactly. Yeah. Like safe if to the fail. whole thing falls apart, yeah. nobody loses too much. Yeah. You know, we, and we all learn something. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Naveed, um, it's, uh, so we've got only got two minutes um, left in the time that we had set, but we also started late. I'm comfortable going maybe 10 more minutes if that's okay. But um, I wanted to ask Naveed if you had um, any any additional questions or, or would if you'd like James or um, and I to um, engage on some of what you're maybe thinking about how you might might apply some of these structures mm -hmm. or these ideas in your um, in your farming relationship in that context <laughs> um, yeah thanks for inviting that in that that feels helpful and yet um, it feels like the things that I'm receiving from this conversation are they're they're hitting me at a deep level mm. that um, 10 minutes may not suffice to <laughs> <laughs> scratch some of the pieces and I'm already thinking about like when you said the iterative structure I'm like oh like that's kind of what happened with this farming thing like we didn't just do the minimal viable next horizon like we I, I like agreed to something that was really more than I wanted to agree to at that time because mm -hmm. I was I was just like oh yeah like we're gonna farm the whole season and then share the crop and I didn't account for like actually what I really meant is like I want to plant seeds with you and then maybe I move and I move you know 45 minutes away and it's really hard for me to get to the farm like I that's really adapting or that's really changing the circumstances and I didn't like there's not, there wasn't a structure that was built in place for that. And I think that's yeah. where some of these tensions are coming. I think there's always a, uh, an inherent tension between um, people's natural desire for, for predictability and control and knowing where things are going 
and the the unpredictable nature of the world and life, right? And so the reason we tend to put in structures that are too rigid for what reality will support is in order to make us feel secure. Um, and that's great as long as you leave yourself open to renegotiation, right? And, and we grow up thinking that once you've made an agreement, you've committed your entire self and life to that. And we forget that we can renegotiate, we can. So this concept of renegotiation is really important. Um, and it allows you to make long-term planning, understanding that you might have change. But also I think Caroline's idea of like, what's the next viable horizon um, is also a way to, to build in renegotiation. Our vision is that we're going the distance, but we're creating these periods for renegotiation, yes. structuring them in. Thank you for that, James. I feel like I feel a lot more permission. Like I'm going into the, to this evening's meeting. I'm like, I what I don't want to do is renegotiate with my spiritual self. Like that uh, I've done, and that's been like soul crushing. But I'm willing to renegotiate with the external conditions that aren't matching this really important inner fractal. Yeah, and there could be a lot of judgment thrown at you about that, both from within, but also externally. Other, other people who don't allow themselves to renegotiate are not gonna want you to. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you okay. can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah follow spirit and be and also and i know that you're able to do this navid um listen to others deeply as well um sometimes the most valuable pieces of information are under the surface of what somebody's saying right it could be fear it could be judgment it could be um there can be a lot entangled with a given experience from past experiences, right? So just that listening at that deeper level will enrich the dialogue that you have tonight, I'm sure. And um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you both. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. Um, so would you like to offer any closing thoughts, questions to leave people with, ideas, James? Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the coming days, I'm, I'm going to, you know, fully hard launch my consulting business in the middle of a recession, in the middle of a pandemic, with a business model that's going to be totally foreign to a lot of my clients. Um, and I feel pretty good about it, actually, uh, because, because it's, I'm coming from a place of integrity. Um, you know, and I'm 52 years old, and it has taken me this long to come to a place where I can say, you know what, I, I can do business the way I want to do business. And um, I might get rejected for that. And that's okay, because there are other people that are going to accept it, and it's, it's all going to work out. Or maybe I'll crash and burn and, you know, the experiment will um, ask to be reiterated in a new way. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't manifest outwards what you don't practice inwards. 
And um, so I have to take that to heart and go with it. So thank you, Caroline, for introducing me to this revolutionary, for me at least, but I think for the world, way of doing business. It is revolutionary for me too. <laughs> it's kind of a, a shocking situation to be in for sure. Like it's, it's so challenges. It's so challenges are, are um, my ideas, my beliefs about myself, all of it is, is fraught. All of it is vulnerable. All of it's here. Um, and I felt like chills when you were talking just now, because like what I, if anything, what I'm inspiring or what I'm seeing, you know, yourself, James and Naveed also like picking up on and, and taking and running with is even, you know, not so much about the plenty pack structure in particular, it's mm -hmm. about obeying your integrity, <laughs> like mm -hmm. really letting that lead and just being like, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. And not only that, I'm a designer of sorts. Like I've sat with pattern analysis. I've sat with systems thinking like yeah. this is a, an expression yeah. of what I've arrived at as far as good design and, and, and the, you know, what could help seed or propagate the world that we want to live in. So I'm modeling that to you and you need to engage me in this authentic way with, with what I'm all about. You know, I did feel when this came about as vulnerable as it is, as like, who knows if this will work out oh, all the like anxiety there. Um, you know, I also felt that, that there, what it did was reduce separation between myself and the world because I internally had these values, these beliefs, these truths that I was trying to partition and then act differently in the world. And it wasn't working for me anymore. It finally hit a crisis point where I was like, I'm done pretending. <laughs> this is what's true for me. I am wanting to be of service and I want you to understand that if we're gonna be in a professional relationship together, it's that this is about your liberation, you know, and mine, it's about mutual transformation.